Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Oh, I'm so uh, appreciative to be uh, bringing you the message this morning. I'm really excited because I'm getting to kick off a new sermon series uh, on John, the Gospel of John. If we're keeping up with our reading, then uh, we're, we're beginning John or entering into John. And John is really different than the other Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sometimes called synoptic Gospels. So uh, that, basically that means Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a summary of the life of Jesus and a kind of a history of the life of Jesus. It's a linear telling, basically. But John, the writer in John's Gospel, leaves out a lot of the historical details of the life of Christ. So John's Gospel focuses on these very specific stories, and his, his idea is, I want to show you that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. That's, that's John's idea. So as we read through John, we need to be on the lookout for how this gospel is different than the first three we've just read. And I, I just want to share a meme with you all uh, that'll, that'll help uh, explore what I'm talking about. Oh, it's over here on this side. You may have seen this meme. So on the, the synoptic gospels are being represented by Tiger Woods. It is very tidy. Uh, sh- uh, you know, sweater vest. And my- the Gospel of John here is being represented by John Daly, who looks, who looks a little like off-season Santa Claus to me, or something, smoking a cigar. So that's that's the that's the way we can think about this in a visual way. I, I'm going to thank Mr. Ken Weatherford for he's the golf expert. I, I looked at the I knew Tiger Woods, but I'm like. Who is Tiger Woods playing golf with? I did not recognize Arkansas's own John Daly with a big beard. So this is why Pastor Michelle has called this sermon series Jazz Hands John. uh, Because John is unique and special and kind of jazzy. So my project today is I want to look at one of these stories that are unique to the Gospel of John. And we find this story in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And I think it will be contained here on our screen. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine. And Jesus replied, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby, there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some of the, draw from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. And you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. 
Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We bow for a word of prayer with me. Holy God, fill us with your Holy Spirit now and open our thoughts and our understanding. Fill me with your message this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to spend the next few minutes examining this famous story of the wedding in Cana. I was, I, I have to be honest, uh, I guess I'm not a top-notch Bible scholar. I was like, you mean the wedding of Cana is only in the Gospel of John? It's a very famous story, but it is indeed only in John. And he reports this as the first of seven miracles, what John refers to as signs that point to the power of Christ. So as you read the Gospel of John, remember that this Gospel is a selective, symbolic account of the ministry of Jesus, and it's written so that you may believe in him as the Christ, the Son of God, and thus have life in his name. John is explicit about his project, and while we can infer some history and some information about the life of Jesus, we have to be on the lookout for symbolic representations that are embedded in these stories. The Gospel of John has a high Christology. The term high Christology is a fancy seminarian way of saying you believe in the divinity of Christ if you have a high Christology. So when I first took this position here at FUMC, I started writing liturgy and calls to worship and whatnot, and I noticed that in some of the things I saw, the you and the your, the pronouns that referred to God or Christ were capitalized, and sometimes they weren't. For example, if you write a call to worship that says, holy God, comma, you are always ready to hear us, do you capitalize you are always ready to hear us, or do you not? So... I called a friend of mine who was pursuing a Master of Divinity degree at a good seminary, and I said, so what's the rule? Do I capitalize pronouns referring to God or Jesus, or do I not? And this is the explanation my friend gave me at the time. My friend said, it's up to you. If you believe that Christ is divine, the Son of God, then you capitalize, and if you don't believe in the divinity of Christ, you don't capitalize. And I responded, of course, I believe Jesus is God's Son, if I didn't believe that, I'd go sell shoes. Or in my case, I'd probably go sell large appliances. I would not be here preaching, you know, preaching or working with the choir or doing anything in the church if I didn't believe that. And she says, okay, you have a high Christology. And I said, that's good to know. So uh, since then, I have learned that we were a little off base. That is not the only reason to capitalize or not capitalize. And it doesn't necessarily imply that. But I worked under that understanding for a long time before I learned better. So as you're reading the Gospel of John, know that the writer of the Gospel has a high Christology. John's Christology is probably higher than any of the other uh, Gospel writers. Now we can start with the fact that this miracle is the first sign in, and at the wedding in Cana. It's the first of seven signs in the book of John. Seven is a very important number in the Jewish community of this time. The number seven expresses completeness. Thus, there are seven signs in the book of John. There are also seven I am statements in the book of John. As you're reading, you'll notice Jesus says, I am the door. I am the light. I am the true vine. He does that seven times. So seven, keep that in mind. That's a really important number while you're reading this gospel. 
Before we dive too deeply into this symbolic world of John, I want to look at this story on the level of just a narrative, if I just saw this as a story, and then I want to go back and analyze for possible symbols that John uses to reflect the divine nature of God. The first idea in this narrative is the fact that Jesus and his disciples and his mother are attending a wedding. So we're not given any details about who, who's being married or what families, but we have to note that Jesus is attending a happy celebration. So on the surface of the story, we can say that Jesus supports joy. Jesus is in favor of celebration. And the second thing I note is that Jesus and his disciples arrive on the third day. Now, weddings at this time in this culture went on for seven days. Sign of completeness there. And we know that seven, uh, uh, that people during those seven days would drop in and come, you know, for a day or two and leave. So, um, that Jesus and his disciples were not rude for coming three days late to a wedding. They were just part of the drop in and drop out. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to him and says, they are out of wine. Now, this is a terrible faux pas for the host families. There's only, they're only three days into a seven-day ceremony, and many more people are going to drop in. And wine is very important to marriage ceremonies at that time because it's not just two individuals getting married, two families coming together. And so you needed wine and feasting for toasting and, and the, to celebrate these two families. So to run out of wine is a great shame to the host family. And we know the rest of the story. Mary tells the servants, do whatever Jesus says. Now, some people get hung up on the fact that he says, woman, my... I don't think Jesus is being disrespectful, because if you read this, Mary says, then she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says, because Mary knows Jesus is special. She's known that from the time she was visited by an angel, and when the shepherds came, and when the wise men came, she knew Jesus is special. So Mary in this narrative is not serving as the mother of Jesus. Mary in this narrative is an obedient disciple of Christ. Then Jesus tells the servants to fill the six stone pots with water. John explains to us that these pots were used for the Jewish ritual of cleansing. He's doing that just in case some Gentile happens to be reading this and doesn't really know what the pots are for. And then we know the story, the water is turned instantly into wine and the head steward informs us, this is the very best wine. Now, if this were a story or a parable in one of the synoptic gospels, we just say, well, that's a great story. But this is the, in the gospel of John, jazz hands John, so to speak. So we need to go back and examine the story for a deeper meaning. So the first symbolic reference is a pretty easy one. And that's the fact that Jesus arrives on the third day in verse one of this story. That's an easy one to figure out. Where else in the Bible is the span of three days' time important? This is not a pop quiz. I'll just tell you. The resurrection. You know, you're all thinking that. It's the resurrection. So John is kicking off this story with a symbol of resurrection. And this should color our view as we read through the whole story. John is giving us a clue here that this story foreshadows things to come. So then the mother of Jesus comes to him and says, we have no wine. Now, 
I believe that wine is also a symbol in the story. Uh, a family that's going to host a wedding would never run out of wine. They would make sure they had enough wine to last through the wedding ceremony. So what could the wine represent in this story? In the Old Testament, wine can represent the presence of God. We see this in Joel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. It says, So you shall know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy mountain. On that day, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine. And we see it again in uh, chapter 25 of Isaiah, verse 6, where it says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich foods filled with marrow, of well-matured wines strained clear. Wine symbolizes the presence of God. And recall that Jesus has arrived on the third day. So John is saying the risen Lord has arrived at at this event. What John is suggesting by telling us they've run out of wine is the old ways of seeking the presence of God have run out. They are empty. This is what John is saying. Now, when Jesus tells his mother, my hour has not yet come, I always thought that Jesus was saying, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to start my ministry. I just started. I've only called a few disciples. I'm not ready to do it. But John is creating a story that is a picture of things to come. And John is giving us the end of the story at the very beginning of his chapter. And Jesus is saying, I have not yet been glorified. I've not been raised from the dead fully. I'm not glorified. Now notice what the scripture says in verse 6. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual. And notice that number of stone pots. There are only six stone pots that were used in the old way, under the law of purification. The old way, under the law, is not complete. The six pots, not seven pots, demonstrate that the presence of God under the old way has run out. Jesus is taking the old rituals and the old ways of the law, and he says, fill them up with water. Jesus takes these six stone pots, and he transforms them, bringing true purity, foreshadowing the gift of living water. And the divine Christ transforms this water into wine. Jesus is filling the old law with new wine of grace. Somebody give me an amen on that one. Now, for the big symbol from this first sign in John's gospel, I wonder why does the gospel of John begin with a miracle at a wedding? As I've said before, John is beginning his story at the end of the tale. And this wedding, I believe, it foretastes the great wedding feast in heaven when the worldwide church and the glorified Jesus Christ are united. And this is the reason John uses the setting of a wedding for his first son. John is telling us through this story that there's going to be a great wedding feast in heaven and the wine and the grace and the love of the risen Christ will flow and we will be the honored guests. Hallelujah! My dear sisters and brothers, I believe that we need a new measure of this transforming grace. All of our old ways of doing things may need to be filled with a new wine of the Spirit. 
Many of our old ways were good. You know, Jesus didn't throw out the pots and get new pots. He took those old pots that had a purpose under the law, and he refilled them with grace. Woo. So many of those old ways are good, and many of our old ways are good. But we need to pray that the miracle of the new wine fills us and helps us to live into our calling to be the church for this time and this place to be a city on a hill to welcome all those who are hurting and lost and lonely into our community. And some of those people we're going to welcome into our community have been hurt by the church. And it's going to take a special touch and a special welcome and a special kind of grace. But we have this grace, beloved, right now, today, at this very hour, and as my grandmother's old hymn says, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let us drink deeply of this grace, and then let's go into the highways and the byways and call all the lost and the lonely and the wounded people of the world to this table of grace. Thanks be to God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.